They're just over one month to go before the presidential election. In an analysis of five recent polls, a Japanese political scientist says the DPP still has a comfortable lead. Notably, the TPP's Kawanja has slipped to third place, while the KMT's Hoyoi has surged to second. This sets the stage for a close contest between the DPP and KMT. Lai's campaign office says it's fully prepared for a tough battle with Lai keeping a rigorous campaign schedule of more than 10 stops a day. The analyst predicts that Lai will see a surge of support in December. AIT director Sandra Odkirk gave her end-of-year policy speech at National Taiwan University on Monday. In her address, she reiterated that Washington's support for Taiwan was rock-solid. She also stressed that the U.S. would not interfere or pick sides in the January election, stressing that Taiwan voters should be the ones to decide their next leader. AIT Director Sandra Odkirk gave her end-of-year policy speech at National Taiwan University on Monday. She addressed issues such as cybersecurity and disinformation, as well as the deepening of Taiwan-U.S. cooperation. She emphasized democracy as a value shared by Taiwan and the U.S. The United States enjoys a robust, unofficial relationship with Taiwan. We will continue to support Taiwan's meaningful participation in, in, in the international community, and we will work to deepen our economic ties, all consistent with our One China policy. The event was co-hosted by NTU and the AIT. Among the attendees were Digital Affairs Minister Audrey Tang and representatives from the DPP, KMT and Taiwan People's Party. With the 2024 presidential election fast approaching, Odkirk reiterated that the U.S. will not interfere in the elections or take sides. I want to emphasize that the United States has deep confidence in Taiwan's electoral processes and democratic system. We believe it is for the Taiwan voters to decide their next leader, free from outside interference. The United States is not taking sides in Taiwan's election. We do not have a preferred candidate. U.S. policy on Taiwan will remain the same, regardless of which party is in power. Odkirk stressed that the U.S.'s Taiwan policy would be unchanged regardless of who wins Taiwan's presidential election. She also took questions from NTU students. One asked whether the U.S. would, quote, abandon Taiwan when its interests in China take precedence. I will say the answer to that is no. So the U.S. policy towards Taiwan, the U.S. sort of one-China policy, has persisted now for decades. Um, the policy is, is not changing. U.S. support for, for Taiwan remains rock-solid, principled, and bipartisan. With Taiwan-U.S. ties at their warmest in years, the AIT director said that no matter what political changes take place, bilateral relations would remain rock-solid. A state-of-the-art disaster response training center has launched after six years of planning and construction. President Tsai Ing-wen and top defense officials attended the inauguration ceremony. The center can simulate combat situations and natural disasters using artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and augmented reality technologies. Tsai said the center would improve the combat capabilities of Taiwan's military while educating the general public on disaster response. Defense Minister Chiu Guozheng, National Security Council Secretary General Wellington Ku, National Defense Medical Center President Chen Yuanhao, and President Tsai Ing-wen launched a new disaster training center. 
After six years of planning and construction, the center was completed in July. Using artificial intelligence, the facility can produce simulations for training in combat scenarios, vehicle care, severe disasters, hazardous environments, and material rescue. The center is also equipped with simulators of Black Hawk helicopters, AAV-7 amphibious assault vehicles, and Humvee ambulances to provide enhanced rescue operation training to soldiers. The building we're inaugurating today has a multifunctional rescue operation training environment that uses technologies like virtual reality and augmented reality to create realistic battlefield scenarios. We believe that in the future, the center will help improve the capabilities of rescuers responding to battlefield field casualties and emergency rescue operations. This will afford greater protection to our military. Tsai said the facility would enhance the care and protection of soldiers in battle and improve the combat effectiveness of Taiwan's military. She said that through joint projects with the private sector, the training center would also improve society's response to battle scenarios and major natural disasters. This year, the medical service training center started a team rescue course and trained almost 3,800 people. Besides strengthening the rescue capabilities of our military, it is a way to maintain their overall combat capabilities. The Medical Service Training Center does outreach events at schools and different groups to raise awareness about emergency rescue operations. Over the past few years, several NGOs have been formed to train the general public intending to war casualties. All these efforts have helped raise awareness about the importance of civil defense. In the future, the new facility will join forces with the National Police Agency, the National Fire Agency, and various medical institutions. It will also reach out into the community to integrate military and civilian rescue procedures and educate the general public on civil defense concepts. A new study on the internet habits of under-18s has found a decline in media and aesthetic literacy among young people. The research looked at students from third grade to the end of high school it found that young people on, uh, spend on average 26 hours a week online on their phone. But their capacity to navigate with agency through the minefields of online data has declined. The study was conducted by National Central University researchers together with Cyber Angels PIC, an advocate for children's safety online. Lawmakers and broadcasting regulators say that more should be done to create accountability for the producers of online media. Head down, endlessly scrolling. It's a bad habit for many people, and it's no longer just adults. Young people are using electronics more and more, and the age of users keeps dropping. The information they receive is short videos. We did a study on aesthetic literacy, and we found a significant decline in young people's ability to search about and to understand information on local Taiwanese culture and art. Scholars have seen a sharp rise in the length of time students spend on their phones each week, but media literacy has not risen in tandem. The study results show that, on average, young people engage in physical exercise for seven hours a week, watch TV for six hours a week, and spend 26.2 hours a week online on their phones. Offshore enterprises get more than 40 billion NT in digital advertising revenue from Taiwan, tens of billions. But do they shoulder the costs of labor? Do they cultivate an ecosystem? That's before we get onto all the piracy.
Short videos became a big phenomenon in recent years. Transnational video platforms have made a big impact in Taiwan, often with no age restrictions. Attention-grabbing videos full of sexual or violent images and scams are everywhere. They earn a lot of ad revenue without accepting social responsibility. I think this is something that executive departments need to work hard on. In terms of policy, we can guide and support industry to have more motivation and capacity to produce more material on aesthetic education. The internet throws up fresh novelties every day. Lawmakers are calling on public bodies to do more to regulate the internet in a fair way to ensure it doesn't become a threat to public safety. 2023 is turning out to be a bumper year for aviation. Taoyuan's airport is on track to see 30 million passenger trips this year, and airlines have posted record revenue. In a letter to staff, budget airline Tiger Air Taiwan has hinted at a generous annual bonus. The company chair said the bonus would be 10 out of 10 in terms of sincerity and would achieve a satisfaction rate of 10 out of 10. The staff thinks that means a bonus worth 10 times their monthly wage. As for Eva Air, it's rumored to be considering five or six months pay. Airline unions are up in arms saying that 10 to 16 months would be more appropriate given the carrier's profits. In response, Eva Air emphasized that the amount was still under discussion and that it was willing to share success with the entire team. Washington will send a delegation to Taiwan in January to clarify its expanded chip controls. The U.S. semiconductor ban was strengthened this October to further restrict exports of advanced microchips to China. The U.S. will conduct briefings at Xinzhu Science Park and Southern Taiwan Science Park for domestic chip makers, IC designers, and equipment or material suppliers. According to Economics Minister Wang Meihua, the briefings will help Taiwan stick to the rulebook, which is more than 300 pages long. But analysts say as a U.S.-China tech war heats up, Taiwanese vendors are bound to be affected. The U.S. Department of Commerce will come to Taiwan to give a briefing so that Taiwan manufacturers can get a face-to-face -face explanation of what U.S. law enforcement is thinking and even to communicate in person over the more detailed issues. That's what Taiwan needs. The intensification of the U.S.-China tech war will likely ruin any goodwill generated during the Biden-Xi summit at APEC. Since this will have an impact on the revenue of U.S. chip giants, for Taiwanese manufacturers in related sectors, including TSMC, there will inevitably be adverse effects. Besides Taiwan, the U.S. Department of Commerce plans to hold briefings in Japan, South Korea and other major semiconductor hubs in Asia. The updated ban aims to close loopholes that China had used to assess high-performance computing chips. Importantly, it requires companies to report the sales of some chips that just fall below the parameters for high-performance chips. The Ministry of Environment held an award ceremony last Friday to honor achievements in the circular economy. Minister of Environment Shi Fusen personally conferred the awards to corporations, schools and food and beverage businesses for making strides in green design, green transitioning and plastic reduction. The ministry aims to continue working with the private sector and schools to move toward the goal of net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, 
Top Brass Pose at a Ceremony Honoring Achievements in the Circular Economy. The event also showcased green designs and products made with recycled materials. This year, nearly 60 companies exercised their creativity. We saw many of these companies take what's considered to be waste and turn it into resources and energy. They've set an exceptional example for our resource recycling efforts. The first step to net zero is reducing the use of plastic. This year, the Ministry of Environment launched policies in government agencies and schools to reduce the use of disposable tableware and bottled water. Starting with the public sector, the government aims to cut plastic use by promoting green concepts like come prepared, recycle and reduce. Over the past year of promoting the policy, we've already cut down the use of nearly 3 million disposable lunchboxes. We've saved on nearly 20 million plastic cups. Altogether, we've reduced nearly 200 metric tons of waste. The world is racing to go net zero by 2050, and Taiwan is keeping pace. By encouraging green design, energy recycling, and waste capacity management, the Ministry of Environment's Resource Circulation Administration hopes to join hands with the private sector in moving toward the net zero target. The Liver Disease Prevention Treatment Research Foundation offered free health exams last Sunday at a cafe in Xinzhou. The health checks targeted the liver, spleen and kidneys using blood tests and ultrasound scans to assess cancer risk. The cafe was once home to a famed hospital. It was also the childhood home of Song Reilo, known as the father of liver disease research. <laughs> The needle goes in for a quick blood draw. The blood test process is smooth and simple at this unique clinical setting. It's not a hospital, but a cafe with warm lighting and a cozy atmosphere. It's very comfortable, very vintage. It feels like going back in time. I'm here to get myself checked out, to see what my physical condition is. The chance came up, so I thought I would participate. The Liver Disease Prevention and Treatment Research Foundation held a free clinic last Sunday at a cafe in Zhudong, Xinzhou. The health check targeted organs like the liver, pancreas and kidneys, offering blood tests and ultrasound scans to assess their function and cancer risk. The rate of liver disease has not declined significantly. That's because many people don't do ultrasounds and rely only on blood draws. That's not enough. Professor Xu Jinchan strongly promotes liver examinations across Taiwan. The cafe was once the site of Changchun Hospital, and it's where liver disease pioneer Song Rei Lo spent his childhood years. Song's father and uncle founded Changchun in 1908 as the first and only hospital in the area. Song after the death of Professor Song Reilo, I succeeded him as chair of the foundation. At the time, I was quite daunted by the role, because eradicating liver disease in Taiwan is such a tremendous responsibility. <laughs> Professor Song Reilo's most treasured protege was always Professor Xu Jinchuan, who has inherited his mentor's mission of eradicating liver disease. Xu Jingchuan says he's committed to promoting ultrasound scans and to achieving his mentor's goal of eradicating liver disease in Taiwan. There's a German professor at NTU whose love for classical Chinese culture makes him really stand out. Professor Roland Kirschner is an expert on microbial ecology and fungi. Taiwan's rich ecosystem was part of what led him to settle here. But perhaps even more than that, it was his love of calligraphy and painting and the warmth of Taiwanese people. Students say he always comes to class at NTU wearing traditional Chinese clothing, 
we caught up with Kirshner to hear how this new immigrant has made Taiwan his home. Wearing a tang suit and speaking fluent Chinese, Roland Kirshner answers his students' questions. The NTU forestry school professor was born in southern Germany. His interest in Chinese culture led him to start studying Mandarin at university. He first visited Taiwan more than 20 years ago and soon fell in love with the country. I spent half the day learning Chinese at National Taiwan Normal University Mandarin Training Center. Then, in the afternoon, I would come and do research at the botanical department of NTU. After a year of that, I was meant to go home, and I felt so sad, because I already loved this place. Kirshner eventually moved to Taiwan to work here. He teaches in Mandarin and practices calligraphy. His research lab is covered in spring couplets that he wrote himself, as well as his own Chinese-style paintings. I paint when I have time. I found a teacher for calligraphy because I think it's a very advanced art. I go to my calligraphy class every week and I'm gradually learning. When his research and teaching duties are fulfilled, he spends his free time practicing with the brush. He's won many prizes in calligraphy competitions. A ceramic cup is adorned with paintings of lingzhi and umbrella mushrooms, reflecting Kirshner's research expertise. As for what led him to settle in Taiwan, he cites the rich and diverse ecosystems here, as well as the friendliness of Taiwanese people. People are very warm toward Westerners. If I'm standing on the street and obviously looking for something, people will come up and ask, can I help you? That doesn't happen so often in Germany. After 12 years here, Kirchner calls himself a new immigrant. In the future, he wants to continue exploring Taiwan's beautiful natural landscapes and classical Chinese arts. Burmese people love to drink milk tea, and it's usually prepared hot. Second-generation immigrant Ted Yu has found a way to integrate the tradition with Taiwanese popular drink culture to create a unique iced version. By opening a shop in the tea battleground of New Taipei City's Yongha District, Yu hopes to introduce more people to Burmese milk tea. Authentic Burmese milk tea is made from strong Yangon tea mixed with the perfect ratio of condensed milk and milk. The biggest difference between Burmese and Taiwanese milk tea is the strength of the tea. You can taste the slightly astringent flavor of the leaves. Ted Yu was born in a multicultural household to a Burmese Chinese father and a Burmese Indian mother. Growing up, this background made him the target of bullies. When my classmates came over, they saw my dad wearing this kind of long skirt. They didn't say anything right away, but the next day at school, everyone called my dad gay. My mom is part Indian, so she eats with her hand. While at my house, everyone just played video games or read. Then the next day, said my mom is uncultured and doesn't use chopsticks. So after a while, it made me reject this part of myself and I tried to hide it. 
One day at an event on Myanmar Street in Zhonghe District, Yu was deeply moved by an older man struggling to recite something in Burmese. As he had recently been let go by a restaurant during the COVID-19 pandemic, he took his familiarity with the industry as an opportunity. Burmese milk tea is so delicious. I thought it should branch out from Myanmar Street so more people could try it. In the end, I had to open here, but my shop is in a style familiar to Taiwanese, so it's more approachable. From a drink that's traditionally served hot, Yu makes it iced and adds sago, jelly, pudding or faluda. Although a familiar dessert to Burmese, it stands out amid the tea shop background of Yonghe. I hope that Burmese milk tea can one day become as common in Taiwan as Thai milk tea. Although his shop is small, Yu has filled the walls with items from Myanmar. Every day, he puts a new Burmese fact or word on the blackboard. Today's word, working hard, reflects Yu's aspiration for sharing his culture while inching closer to his dream of being an entrepreneur. Turning now to the weather. Umbrellas are out across Taiwan, especially along the east coast and northern half of the island. Forecasters say conditions will start to dry up after Thursday, but the north and east could see rain all through the way through the weekend. Starting tomorrow, another wave of northeasterly winds will move down, affecting Taiwan. It will bring moisture to Taiwan before gradually drying up. After Thursday, conditions will be drier island-wide, and the weather will stabilize. From Thursday to the weekend, only windward parts of the east will see sporadic windward rainfall. Other regions will enjoy partly cloudy to fair weather. In related news, the Central Weather Administration has released its list of the coldest places in Taiwan. Based on long-term temperature records for January, the coldest non-mountains location is Danshui District in New Taipei with an average of 15.4 degrees Celsius. Number two is Xinzhou at 15.7 degrees, followed by Geelong at 16.1 degrees.